0: at the dissolve we do movie of the week and it was like, Hey, here's a movie we want to write about whatever. Let's, let's, let's just do it, you know, and de- dedicate like three or four articles and, and uh, maybe part of a podcast to, to it. Um And you know, that, you know, try, you can't do that. You can't just say, I, I want to write about, um, you know, Fellini city of women or whatever, because, because it's an interesting movie. No, one's going to buy that.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Culturally Relevant, a podcast about film, television, art, and culture. I'm David Chen, and a hugely influential part of my online life has been reading websites like The Dissolve and AV Club and listening to podcasts like The Next Picture Show. Uh, Reading and listening to these things has shaped not only my opinion on films, but also my opinion on what film criticism can be, what it has the potential to be, what thoughtful commentary sounds like. My guest today on this podcast is someone who's been a driving force behind those things I just listed. Keith Phipps is a writer whose work has appeared in GQ, Vulture, and TV Guide. He has an upcoming book called Age of Cage, Four Decades of Hollywood Through One Singular Career. And he's just launched a new newsletter publication with Scott Tobias called The Reveal, which has in-depth writing about movies new and old. Note that I am a paying subscriber to The Reveal. I'm also a patron of the Next Picture Show podcast, so I'm a fan of the stuff that Keith Phipps does and I hope you will be too. But before we get to our conversation, which is a wide-ranging conversation about uh, film criticism as a career, how Keith's career as a film critic has evolved over time, and about where we see this field going in the future, just want to mention a few things about this podcast. You can find more episodes at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Email us at culturallyrelevantshow at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, a couple really easy ways to do that. You can follow the show on Twitter at CREVSHOW, C-R-E-V-S-H-O-W. You can leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. That really does help a lot. And you can also support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, where you can sign up for bonus audio and extra content. Uh, Really appreciate all of my patrons on there uh, supporting what I do, making my work possible, and also getting a lot of cool random posts that I make. Like, for example, uh, an audio blog I posted this week entitled, When a Man Pays for the Meal on the First Date, Who's Entitled to the Leftovers? An age-old question that so many people ask all the time. You can hear our conversation about that topic over at patreon.com slash Dave Chen if you're a patron. But anyway, let's get to today's conversation Again, uh, Keith Phipps is a writer whose work has appeared at GQ Vulture and TV Guide. Check out his work at The Reveal, a new newsletter that he made with Scott Tobias. Here's my chat with Keith Phipps. Stick around for our weekly recommendations. Keith Phipps, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having
0: me. This is is, uh, my pleasure to be here.
1: So I usually like to start with breaking in stories on this podcast, and I'm curious if you have a breaking in story for how you got involved in writing about movies and television.
0: Um, well, let's see. Uh, the very long stories, I remember for some reason I wrote a movie review in in third grade um, <laughs> just to show my parents. I think they were like, oh, that's good. Uh, the movie, by the way, was... was uh, I think it was third grade. Maybe it was a little older, but it was, it was Max Dugan returns. Uh, you know, a favorite among kids. Kids love to see Neil Simon <laughs> movies in the theater with, when they're too young to understand what's going on as I did for some reason, but I, I, I did film criticism for my, for, if you want to call it that for my junior high newspaper. And then I took, um I took a, a I decided, you know, I'd a, accomplished all I wanted to accomplish in the field for a while. Uh, I came back <laughs> um, toward the end.
1: Alexander of- wept for, there were no more lands to conquer. <laughs> exactly. After that Max Dugan returns review. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah exactly so um I um went to Madison for grad school, uh, which I did not really love the experience, but it got me to Madison, Wisconsin, which was a great place to to be uh, and included some opportunities to be a freelance writer uh, there um, which I might not have stumbled into if I wasn't going uh, in grad school with with uh, the uh, a friend of a friend of um, Rob Siegel, who was the editor of The Onion. At the time, and they had an, uh, an arts and entertainment section that I already admired, edited by Stephen Thompson, uh, called the AV Club. Um, and I, you know, St- uh, Rob introduced me to Stephen. Stephen and I became uh, uh, we we headed off. Um, I started writing for them regularly and became the assistant uh, editor of the AV Club. Uh, not long. Uh, you know, after after um, you know after a little while, and I was also freelance uh, for the Isthmus, the alt weekly up in Madison, a little bit. So you know, uh, I, 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 after grad school, I took I took the day job that that you always take after getting an MA in English, which is I started working in a video store. <laughs> so I treated that a whole. I had like a whole year of working in a video store, uh, turning that into the film the film school that I never really had, uh, while you know writing you know reviews initially for for $5 a pop uh, for the AV club but but in in the long run I think you know it, it worked out okay.
1: I'm curious what was it that made you want to write about movies in the first place? Did you have a formative experience around movies that made you feel like I want to devote a significant amount of my life to this?
0: It was almost more of a of a criticism thing than anything else. As much as I I you know as much as I'd love to point like there's a couple of movies I think were real breakthrough movies for me. Um I remember becoming really when I was about 10 or so becoming really um fixated on 2001 a space odyssey and wanting to know everything about that and, and reading about it and and even at one point like pro this is this will date me to the 80s and also uh, in case it wasn't already clear uh, out me as as a uh, as an indoor kid uh but i, I just kind of like a sort of a really uh, literally basic, as in the programming language uh, adventure game <laughs> around 2001, a *Space Odyssey*. Um, so that was one, but but honestly, it was stumbling on Siskel and Ebert at some point that really opened things up for me because, like you know, movies were I think until like coming across sneak previews or PBS show, um, you know, it didn't occur to me that movies were something to take apart and discuss. And you know, I also thought they had the greatest job in the world, which is basically just to watch movies all the time and that kind of led to me seeking out um, film criticism in the local paper um, Terry Lawson was the the Dayton's film critic um, and I read him all the time and uh, you know another huge thing was Leonard Malton's movie books which I bought every year and I kind of went through everything that was Rate it three and a half or four stars, and tried to tape them off of television, which which led to me to see a lot of great movies, and also led me to to see a lot of horribly <laughs> mutilated versions of some of those great movies. Like the first time I tried watching Nashville, it was like this, you know, murky pan and scan print interrupted every five minutes for like car dealership commercials. So uh, I, I, I didn't really appreciate uh, some of those quite as much as I should have at, at the time perhaps, but um, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, some of them are some of the really things that lured me in were, were pretty basic. I mean, star Wars 2001. um, I mean, you know, relevant to, to the book I wrote, I I do remember uh, raising Arizona being a huge one because, you know, that's sort of a gateway, you know, into the Coen brothers, which, you know, obviously yeah. was this thing that we followed them for at the time. But I also, you know, I love Cage, of course, and, and and Holly Hunter. So you kind of keep an eye on their careers. And like also there's sort of like, you know, an awareness of well, there's there's some some things happening that aren't necessarily just your usual movies. So you kind of, you know, led into to independent film uh you know, down that avenue through through films like that. Um, so it, it was just like a little bit at a time kind of, kind of accruing little bits of interest here and there.
1: You mentioned that people talked about this being the greatest job in the world because you get to watch movies all the time. I think one of the things that I have tried to balance in my own life is this worry about devoting more time to do to talking about movies and reviewing movies and writing and making material about movies because i worry that it will make my passion into my job Mm -hmm. you know um and, and this is a decision i'm like really weighing right now uh actively um and i guess i'm curious if you have had any of that Uh, in your life where you've felt like, oh, man, like, have you ever felt like, man, I wish I could just enjoy this without thinking about it from the perspective of my job? Or um, do you still like have that passion when you first like that you did when you first started?
0: Well, first of all, I, I think you operate on like a 36 hour day, because I don't know how you do everything <laughs> that you do. It's ridiculous. Um, but uh uh, you know, there is a little bit of that. Uh, and it's not even not even that I, I I never really get tired of watching movies or or talking about movies. Um, but I do find that my um my what's the word i'm looking for uh not essentially, you know my my the the words the, the the films i would watch just for pleasure uh that time kind of gets eaten up by films i have to watch for yeah. work so like the sort of like the free exploration of uh you know just going to a video store when when you don't really have any obligation when you're when you're 17 years old and just kind of film hungry and want to see everything that you can um you know i i do yearn for for that experience again uh, that said, I have little to complain about, you know, when, in a week that, you know, requires like writing about James Bond films, which I love, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not hard to, to summon up the passion for that. Um, I, I mean, I do, it is, it is less so now, cause I used to write about music at the AV club because we, you know, we were just needed people to, to cover stuff, um. And I, and I i love music as well but i am kind of happy to let a few things fall away i mostly write about tv and, and 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 movies uh now so i don't know it's hard to get away from it everything does kind of contribute but on the other hand i also feel like everything i watch um makes me better at what i do uh, to have that base of knowledge to draw on
1: i think one of the things that has been a challenge in the new era that we're living in is you know this this feeling of discovery that we used to have going into video stores right like oh yeah you you could go into video stores and there would just be like hundreds of things you'd never seen before and it's like oh maybe i this box art grabs my eye and and that's the thing i'm going to spend tonight watching that has now been replaced by digital storefronts right like on netflix where you browse through icons instead and I, I sense there's like a lot of differences between those two experiences, right? Uh, physically, there's a lot, a lot of experience, difference because you don't need to put in as much effort. But also, it's a fairly well-known fact that uh, platforms like Netflix uh, don't have a lot of older films, whereas mm-hmm. video stores would probably have a much more robust older catalog. And I guess I'm curious, as somebody who worked in it, you're one of the people who worked in a video store coming up. And now the experience of browsing for films is so much different. You know, do you have any thoughts on that and or any recommendations for people who want to try to recreate that browsing experience?
0: Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't want to romanticize video stores because c- I, I, you know, I, I could. I can sound like an old coot doing it, <laughs> but but <laughs> I, there was definitely some. I mean, you know, it, it, we were kind of have when we talk about how great video stores were, we kind of have in mind this sort of um, ideal video store. Were, that has everything when in fact, you know, video stores had huge limitations. I remember, <laughs> I mean, I grew up in small town, uh, you know, suburban Dayton, Ohio. So it meant driving from store to store to finding anything and like, good luck finding anything with subtitles or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah. you know, that said, I worked at four star video heaven, which is, which is still around in Madison, Wisconsin. And that, that kind of was what we're talking about. I mean, it, it there were some flaws to it as some limitations. Um, but it was, you know, a huge selection of, um, movies you maybe have never heard of, and and I don't know where um, you know I don't know where that discovery happens. When I when I I mean it does pe- people find a way. Like when I look at like uh, younger critics like Monica Castillo and Angel- Angelica Jade Bastian who, who have accumulated this huge uh, appreciation for knowledge of older films. Like you know I, I I don't not sure what route they took to get there, but they got there. You know, uh, so there there people are still discovering older films, but I I do think that it is harder in the digital era, especially with Netflix will Netflix obviously has huge limitations and it'll, it'll cough up, um, you know, things, everyone else is watching as as suggestions. Um, I mean, but there's great stuff out there. I mean, you know, uh, how much would I have loved the criterion channel? Uh, if I yeah. was you know, at, at a certain age. The Criterion uh, Channel is
1: probably the closest thing you can get to that right now, right? Yeah. Br- well, browsing like an older collection and finding stuff by serendipity it, its probably the closest thing.
0: Oh, with a narrower focus, like how much would I have loved Shudder when I was a, you know, a teenager? Right. Like, and and right. if I had unlimited, unlimited free time, I could probably happily just bounce back and forth between those services and find a bunch of things I'd never seen before or revisit things I, I I wanted to see but you know, th- th- there's there's a limit to that as, as as well. I mean, I always go back to this uh, essay that Sam Adams wrote, like you know, eleven or twelve years ago now, for us at the AV club called, called called the convenience trap, where it's just a matter of people will gravitate towards what's easiest. And we we'll just talked about this on the next picture show as well. But um, you know, there there it's just so much easier to click on what's in front of you than to actively seek out things. That you might not have heard of or that require some effort i mean it's why i still you know i'm, I'm recording here on a desk with us next to a stack of of blu-rays um that so there's there's you know i it's why i hold on to physical media and still yeah. uh, treasure that and, and think it's really important
1: totally totally um and and as you indicate there are a lot of advantages to the streaming era too like for instance uh squid game is probably the number one show in the world right now as we're mm-hmm. talking about this, right? And like that would not have happened in the blockbuster video era.
0: No, right? for sure. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the idea of watching a television program made for, you know, let's say it was like, you know, Doctor Who or something um, was, was completely um, yeah, alien. Yeah,
1: non-American audience. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. So, um, Keith, at this point, you've, uh, you have written and edited A.V. Club uh, as well as The Dissolve, you know, the Dissolve is probably the greatest film website of all time. Oh, uh, RIP. oh thank and, you. But... And I, I I guess I'm curious, you know, I, I think for many people, uh, it was fairly heartbreaking when the Dissolve folded. Um, I, I thought it was, just, it was like a force for good in the universe, in my opinion. It, so for those who don't know, the Dissolve used to be this website uh, that had like really awesome writers in-depth critiques old films new films you know basically like the platonic ideal of like what i think like a film website should be um and uh i guess i wanted to ask you like what are your thoughts on or if you can tell us a little bit more about like why that site ended um and and uh what caused everyone to move on from that
0: yeah i mean i mean in in broad strokes it just simply it was read on the ledger. I mean, we 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 were, were Pitchwork Media. I went to Pitchwork Media with the idea, and brought over a bunch of people, and they were hugely supportive and and gave us all kinds of of resources, and and were, uh, great. I mean, I I loved I loved working for them, working for the Zob. We have great collaborators there, but I mean, they're just realities of business set in. I mean, we they were, the, uh, Conde Nast bought them shortly after the Zob closed. So there were there business machinations there. I mean, I think more broadly though, I feel like. I kind of felt like the ground shifted certainly toward the end of the AV club. And while we were at pitchfork where it became harder and harder to do niche stuff, it became harder and harder to have like, you know, I don't know, here, here's. You know, you you couldn't just be a website specializing on the best, you know, about fishing lures. You had to be a website about <laughs> about uh fishing lures, but also politics and you know, uh and and you know, clickbaity list or whatever. You know, every every site suddenly had to be everything to everyone. So we went, you know, we we made the site, we want it. It was, which was very, you know, we tried to have one foot in what was happening in film at the moment, in a sense of film history, and, uh, you know, we did a, you know, we did exactly that. And in terms of like the actual numbers that we were expected to hit, we were hitting them, um, but it doesn't mean we were making money for the company. And, and and I don't think anyone wanted it to end there. Certainly, we didn't. <laughs> but uh, uh, we had a great two year run, and I, I love it. I just, I just hope, you know, every once in a while the the archives will disappear because like. You know, uh, Connie Nast, which which owns the archives now, will occasionally uh, forget to renew something, and it'll just kind of disappear. And then I'll email somebody, and they'll pay the the fifteen dollar renewal fee or whatever they have to do. Um, you know, someday that may not happen. So if if you like it, you know, don't make PDFs of the articles you like now or or something, just to be on the safe side. As you reflect on
1: uh, something like the the dissolved ending and what. uh Film writing needs to be online today in order to be financially viable. Like, were there any lessons you took from that that informed your work moving forward after that?
0: I mean, sort of. Um, you know, I, I I just kind of realized I tried to want, I tried to write, make, hmm. I kind of tried to do the writing and support the type of writing that I enjoyed within that format i went to a site called uprocks after that which which i i worked with a lot of great people there um and and you know that job ended after a couple of years but the idea was like kind of go to the highest possible ground i could find <laughs> to escape the rising tide and maybe carve out a little um uh space within that to do you know within the sort of like you know we'll do this for traffic we'll do this for 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 the love of the game kind of uh kind of pieces um there but you know it was, it was was. Um, but I mean, in terms of like as a as a since I've been freelancing for a long time, and um, I do find you know I've 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 done a lot of work I, I love you know I I really have not as a freelancer had to do a lot of uh, really anything that that I wouldn't want to write otherwise. But I do know I need to pitch like broadly appealing articles for the most part. Um, and you know things they look for for hooks and uh, of what's happening at the moment, and you know things that that you know, the, everyone's got. To, I mean, it's not it's not a, for a lack of appreciation of good writing, but everyone has to keep the lights on. So you know, James Bond comes around. You pitch a bunch of James Bond articles, and that's 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 fine. Um, I like writing about James Bond. Um, but you know, the, I turns to like pitching, like anything like off the, really off the beaten track or, or without, out of contemporary, you know, some sort of hook is, uh, it's, it's harder, you know, it's, it's harder to sell that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. What, what's an example of a piece like that, that you might've pitched in, in an older era, but that, you know, these days you don't think you could get any placement for it.
0: Um, I mean, anything that's not like tied to an anniversary or tied to, um, some kind of, you know, m- hook of the moment. I, you can, you can, you can get, um, you know, I, I, I love writing for The Ringer, uh, which is, will support like off, off the beaten track stuff, but, you know, it helps to have a hook there. Like I, I last year for Halloween, I did a, an article I'd always wanted to write cause, about exploring why blood looks so bad or it looks so weird really in like uh-huh. seven, like horror movies from, or any movies from a specific era, uh, which was really fun to, fun to do. But you know, obviously you uh, you need a Halloween hook or something to, to, to really justify, uh, you know, placing that anywhere. But, um, but that, that would be one thing, but like, you know, at the dissolve, we do movie of the week and it was like, Hey, here's a movie we want to write about whatever. Let's, let's, let's just do it, you know, and de- dedicate like three or four articles and, and, uh, maybe part of a podcast to, to it. Um, and, you know, that, you know, try, you can't do that. You, you can't just say, I, I want to write about, um, you know, Fellini's City of Women or whatever, because, because it's an interesting movie. Um, actually, I actually haven't seen that one. That's one I should seek out and maybe write about it or something. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, you know, you, no one's going to no buy that.
1: Mm. Uh, well, no one that is until now, Keith, right? Because you've just launched this new publication called The Reveal. Purpose yeah. of which is to establish like a, uh, a direct connection to the audience, uh, and then you can kind of you and Scott Tobias can kind of write about whatever you want. Um, and I, I assume that part of the reason for being subscriber funded is so that you can watch movies like the the older Fellini films, right?
0: yeah exactly. i mean uh, the name as as the name suggests, we're trying to get a little bit of the old Dissolve spirit there. uh the dissolve was very very much a group effort of of lots of talented writers. um This is just Scott and me, but you know uh you know with with the, if you if you like what we've done in the past, you'll like the site i mean and 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 this what excited me about the newsletter article was like you know you really can find that we're hoping at least that that core audience that wants to support this particular thing you do. Um, and so now I, I, I'm really excited about it. We are we're, we're recording this after the first week is, is through uh, Scott and I are thrilled with the way things are going and, and the work we've been able to do. I mean, I've worked with Scott for, you know, over 20 years uh, at this point, it'll I've known Scott, but it'll be 25 next year. Wow. Um, and uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of his writing. Uh, we, get along very well professionally and personally uh, our kids are friends you know so it's it's a very easy relationship to slip back into uh and it's been really uh fun so far uh, and exciting to see you know we're 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 in it for the long haul we were lucky enough to um you know Substack is is helping support it for the first year so we have like a, a nice uh, ramp, a uh, takeoff area where we can uh, build an audience for a year. So uh, the idea is to be fully supported by readers a year from now. And, and uh, we're, we're doing okay on that front so far.
1: Are you able to talk a little bit about that, by the way? Like, I think they have like basically some kind of creators program where they will give you the equivalent of an advance is my
0: understanding, right? More or less. Like I don't want to, yeah. you know, I I don't want to get into specific numbers, but uh, you know, instead they're taking a larger percentage of our subscription fees in exchange for giving us some money up yeah. front. Um and it's enough it it's a it's a nice amount to the point where Scott and I can can dedicate a lot of time to it while still pursuing our, our freelance careers and other writing opportunities. So uh, it's a nice it's it becomes like in some ways, in terms of like figuring out what I do, it, it becomes another client, and it becomes like you know I'm going to do so many assignments for this, but it's it's but it's not an, a, a client. It's 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 me, which is a really nice feeling.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and there's like basically unlimited upside, you know, which is nice for something like that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: uh, wondering if we can talk just a little bit about how the industry has changed in terms of mo- the movie industry as well as. The film criticism industry, you know, yeah. um, you've been in this for a little bit longer than I have. And uh, and I'm curious, like as a film critic looking at the industry of movies itself, like what are the things that you're seeing right now that you're excited by and or that concern you?
0: In movies, I mean, it's kind of the same thing that every, worry everyone else. I mean, the the, the franchise model being the be all and all, um, the disappearance of of. Mid-budget films and studios not being interested in, in in pursuing that, and and I think independent films have a harder road than they used to. As well. I know, they had it hard. I mean, I was I was I was there in the nineties. It's it's definitely a harder <laughs> period for independent films to to get made and get noticed uh, these days. And and in some ways, there's more movies than than ever. Um, but you know, I feel like I I do worry just kind of long term or even short term um how much of the cultural conversation movies as an art form are really getting i mean the thing is you know i i'm not saying those concerns aren't legitimate um but i also read an interview with francis ford coppola around the time one from the heart came out recently and he's basically saying the same thing so um it's just variations on the same old problems in some ways so i i'm really kind of cautious about being I, I'm trying. I'm I'm cautious about being too pessimistic because mm-hmm. I, I I find you know movies tend to find find a way in some ways if if not yes. individual films. Um, I,
1: Ian Malcolm voice movies yeah. <laughs> find a way. Basically,
0: I mean, it's, I've said this for years now, but like you know, I worry about the state of movies. But every end of every year, like I have to really wrestle with a top ten list. Right, you know?
1: like the state of movies seems to be declining, but still. There's there's the volume of good quality movies is still quite high each year, right?
0: Yeah, for for sure. Um yeah, I, I don't feel like um I don't I, you know, I don't I don't feel like things are falling apart, but I also feel like, you know, I you you can look back on certain eras as as being a little more um a little more vibrant than others. I, I like um did you ever see the Mia hansen Love um film Eden? Um I don't think so. So it's about it's basically about um, a dis. You know, it, it's it's a good, really good. I mean, her our stuff's always good. I'm excited about her new one, but but it, it's oh yeah a, yeah.
1: I've heard of this movie. This is the one about like the DJ or whatever that yeah, didn't quite make who, it or something who, like that. Yeah, yeah, who
0: kind of is kind of there through the rise of electronic music in the '90s, and you kind of see it going from like the, being this thing that everyone that is hugely exciting for the culture at. At, at, at large, to becoming a kind of a niche thing that people, um, you know, a flame that people keep alive. And sometimes I feel like that's it's that way with movies. I, I don't know. I hope I hope not, though. Um, I, I we're, see. We're going to so, like, try to keep the flame alive no matter, no matter what. Right, though. right, right.
1: <laughs> I mean, one thing I'm really curious about is what is the next generation's relationship with movies going to be? I hear, like, pretty apocalyptic things about how uh the next generation is not really into movies that much you know Mm -hmm. um they you know they have uh you were talking about you mentioned your daughter before we started recording and Mm -hmm. how she's going to play roblox and it's like you know the the next generation is into like fortnite and roblox and minecraft and youtube and tiktok and like movies is kind of like a secondary thing to them I i am curious like what your your daughter's relationship is with the movies, if you feel comfortable sharing that?
0: Oh, I mean, it's probably unusual because because you <laughs> because <know>. of your, <laughs> you know, you know my, your profession, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but we watch a lot of movies. You know, I, I really have it's really one thing that's really hurt through COVID is is you know we we love taking her, my wife and I love taking her to movies. Um, just the experience of going and like you know for and, and I especially you know I may bemoan the franchisezation of, of filmmaking, but we're there for every marvel film the weekend it opens together it's it's you know i'm i do like those films um and even if i'm concerned about the the long-term consequences for what people think of as movies but but you know we 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 get fairly adventurous with her for on a on a for at a 10 year old friendly level like we kind of we kind of got out of it, but but um, it'll probably come back this winter, but every weekend we'd, we'd just take turns picking a movie uh, so she could get, pick, pick one, and my wife would pick one, and I would pick one. And, you know, we'd throw things like Adventures of Robin Hood at her, and what she liked, and uh, Wolf The Wolfman, which she still talks about, uh, you know, was the last, last Halloween season. So, you know, I, I think it's a matter of, of as it was for me, just kind of, you know, getting exposed to this stuff at an early age. I don't know that it's happening everywhere. Certainly yeah. not everyone's has not everyone's kid is you know in, in, a, in a film a film crazy uh family uh, but um i don't know you know i i think though i mean i i waste a lot of time playing video games too and movies are no less important to me than than, than ever uh well you, you I'm don't glad, have to choose one to... over the other over necessarily i guess right
1: right uh, i'm glad to hear that you're you're keeping the flame alive in your household um but uh yeah i'm i'm kind of curious about it and i certainly like business trends over time are not super optimistic about uh, the future of movies. So I I worry about it because I love movies and I love going to the movie theater. And I think uh, that's probably a sentiment shared by you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk a little bit about film criticism. You know, one of the things that you wrote recently in the reveal uh, is you said, quote, uh, some weeks at the AV club, you would write four or five reviews covering a mix of new movies, DVDs, and books. The thing is reviews are often the hardest thing for a freelancer to place, end quote. So what did you mean by that? And was that always the case? You know, so if you're a freelancer and you're like, I want to pitch a review of no time to die for Washington post or whatever, like you're saying like, that's very hard to do. Um, so I, I think that's what you're saying. So can you clarify what you meant? And also like, was that always the case? Why do you think that's the case?
0: I think it's probably always been harder for freelancers to place just reviews because publications that are interested in reviews have full-time hires doing it, yeah. which is, and, and a lot of really good people uh, doing it then and, and, and now. Um, but I think there's there are fewer outlets that do reviews all that regularly. Um, and those that and, and, and those that work with freelancers um they don't you know review straight up reviews don't do the traffic that pieces with an angle do so sometimes she's kind of had to like disguise a review <laughs> you know like like here's 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 an opinion piece uh that's really mostly just an assessment of this movie and how it fits man you know how it fits into a larger trend and things like that um but you know, it, it's like I, for instance
1: your piece on Daniel Craig's James No Time to Die, you know, and his James Bond. Maybe that was in another life, it could have been a review. But
0: uh, yeah, na- well, I, now that, it is
1: about the legacy of Daniel Craig's James Bond,
0: right? Yeah, well, I also have a straight up review of of No Time to Die running in the reveal next week. Um, but uh, you know, it was so you know you can you can do both sometimes. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I do did miss that. You know, I do like just writing reviews and being part of that. I like I even like uh and my wife laughs at me but like i, I kind of stopped calling myself a film critic for a while because i just wasn't doing reviews it's just like well you don't have to be you don't have to write reviews to be calling yourself a film critic i like, oh, "I think you kind of do i don't know um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah um so it's nice to have an outlet to do that now even if it's one that scott and i had to create for ourselves um you know, it's, it, I, I, I like that beat, you know, I, I like to, so like, here, here's, here's your assignment of of what's, here's a new movie. Tell us what you think about it. I, I do. I do like doing that.
1: Let's talk about a recent column you guys had in the reveal about what movies are worth. Mm-hmm. Um, So you and Scott kind of had this back and forth about like how we value movies these days. Can you tell us a little bit about like what prompted this question for you?
0: I mean, it's been on it was Scott's idea to run with that, but it's I think it's been on both of our minds uh during the pandemic, uh, especially when there was the whole the model fell apart and suddenly you know had like what was a twenty dollar rental, what was something that would direct to to a streaming service. You know, there yeah, there the is the model
1: you're referring to being like the theatrical window model sure. whereby um, you would show something in theaters first, and then you yep. sh- have it on home video, and then you have it on airplanes, and then you have it on hotels and whatever. You know, instead, then- it would just go straight to you can now rent it at home for twenty dollars, uh, even as the movie's opening in theaters,
0: right? Or it's just an add-on to your subscription. I mean, it's just part of your subscription. Like, it's so still, kind of blows my mind to the last two Pixar movies, which were Pixar being the closest thing we have to a like a non uh, to to like a to, A non-franchise event film, like a new Pixar movie, is an is an event, right? Uh, Or at least it used to be. It's like all of a sudden, like here's 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 Soul uh, on on your on uh, Disney Plus. Yeah, don't even need a a a surcharge.
1: Just straight. You can just watch it as part of this subscription you already had, basically.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, that doesn't lessen the value of the film as a as a film itself. I don't think, but but also kind of maybe makes it feel like a little you can kind of take stuff for granted that way. I don't know. It's it's been a really weird watching stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, HBO, HBO has
1: yeah, HBO has like really has destroyed the window. Like they have not. It, it's been really bold what they have done, and it's a very fascinating experiment. And we'll see whether Warner Brothers has a theatrical division after this. Uh, yeah, I mean, they they have said they will. You know, and there are movies that are going to come out theatrically in the following years, but like. Who knows uh, how long that's going to last and how much people are going to want to work with them after all this?
0: Yeah, I mean, we will see, won't we? I mean, Nolan's certainly jumped, um, yeah. but it's, it's uh, I, they said it for one year, so I, I don't, I, um, who knows? Um, but I don't know. I mean, if you can look at it, I, I haven't sat down with the numbers, but it feels like they've had, it's been kind of disappointing results financially, or at least in terms of the grosses being down. And, and whether, you know, uh, I, I, you hear all the time, like, in you know, the heights didn't do as well as expected. The, Con- the Conjury movie didn't do as ex- well as expected. Um, I don't know. The, the, you know, The, su- the Suicide Squad um, didn't do as-, as well as expected. Yeah. And, and my I guess my make- sense
1: is it would be fair to say that theatrically the movies haven't done particularly well with some exceptions like Godzilla vs. Kong did okay. Yeah. And, and that that has not been accompanied by an ex- explosive growth in HBO Max that I think they had hoped for do HBO we know Max that is
0: that, doing... I mean, I mean, they're so vague with the numbers. Like, do 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 we really know that for sure?
1: I don't believe it's clocking like Disney Plus numbers. Yeah, you know, like Disney Plus, I think uh, has announced recently that they have something like um, what a uh, hundred. They had a hundred and sixteen million subscribers as of August of twenty twenty one. Yeah. So I don't think HBO Max is a hundred and. 16 million subscribers because i think we would have heard about it by now i think the latest they said was um 47 million in the united states 67 million worldwide so that's not bad it's not bad but it's not disney plus numbers you know and it obviously does cost more than disney plus too but i i think they were kind of betting that it would be this is going to like be the thing that takes us to netflix level and i'm not sure that it's quite done that you
0: know Yeah, yeah, and it's probably, you know, I I have no idea like what the actual numbers look like in terms of, you know, dollars and whether or not it's enough to make up for. I have no idea. It's, I mean, I, I, it's a good service. Disney Plus is a good service too. But, uh, um, but it's, it's, we're really, I feel like we were in uncharted territory in terms of, of, of how it relates to, you know, our relationship with movies and, and, and again, what we pay for them. Um, yeah, it is a question, like, how how can you get them to go see the next Pixar movie in a theater once you've given them a couple for, not free, but, you know, once once you've made zero effort, it's like, you made this thing you've already paid for.
1: Yeah. Do you find yourself, quote unquote, valuing movies less after all this
0: time? I hope not. I mean, I kind of confess in the piece itself that I'm seeing myself as kind of part of the problem because i you know there's things that like oh i can just watch that at home and i'm not going to lose anything uh for it um you know i i, I, I single out a documentary called spellbound that i saw you know going on 20 years ago it's like in the theater it's like that's something i would probably watch at home now but it's also probably something that may not get it may, it may turn up on an apple TV plus or something like that right. versus going to theater but but i also you know to clarify that um i forget it's gotten actually Scott and I actually get into it or it's kind, of, kind of in the, that piece or it's just a conversation we've had. But like when we say there's things that you want to see in the theater, not necessarily Kong versus Godzilla, although, you know, obviously that would I think I would have rather seen that in the theater uh, versus at home. Um, but also something like the card counter, these 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 sort of really disciplined films that are that are smaller, that that kind of um, I think. You know, your attention is focused in the theater and a way, isn't always at home. Um, and just the big screen experience is, is, is always preferable. Um, it's the question of, you know, how much effort you can always put in to, to, to make it happen.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I think it's been a challenge for me because um, I live with someone who is immunocompromised. And mm. uh, so as a result, I have been to the theater three times in the last 18 months yeah i think it was like shang chi and no time to die and like one other movie um plus we rented out a theater to see wrath of man so i've been like going very rarely um i think it's pretty uh relatively easy to be able to go to the theater safely at this point if you are vaccinated if you wear masks you know i think i don't think it's like extremely dangerous or anything like that to go but i do think that um I don't know, you know, it, it definitely has played with my sense of, like, what is it, what is the value, what is the worth of going to a movie theater when, like, I'm going to be able to see this at home in as little as three weeks, right? Like, now, mm-hmm. we have movies like Candyman coming out in the in the box office, and then three weeks later, I can rent it for $20.
0: Right.
1: And it's just like, mm, like, probably what's going to happen is it's going to coalesce towards the event movies, right? Like Venom, you know, Venom is a movie that it's like, okay, I don't, <laughs> I have no interest in seeing that movie. I'm probably going to wait till video on demand, but I'm tempted because I think I heard there's a lot of like big big surprises in that film, you know? And so it's like really only the event movies that I'll feel like I really have to go to the theater for. and And that bums me out that I feel that way. You know what I mean?
0: Right, yeah, you kind of want to feel as enthusiastic as you ever did, but it, it is, yeah. there's that consideration. Like I'm, you know, my, my, our daughter is 10, so I'm, I'm careful about where I go because she's not vaccinated yet. Yeah. Um, and she hasn't been to a movie since then, we, except for when we rented out of theater a couple of times for special occasions. Um, But I, it's it's weird. Like my experience um, going back to theaters was, uh, I, you know, I was very enthusiastic to get back and, and I have been going Semi regularly, but I remember there was a couple months ago now at this point when I went to see the last Purge movie. Um, because who could miss a Purge movie, right? Um, and I um walked into the lobby and I had my mask in my hand and there was nobody masked. I'm like, you know what, we did it, we were on the other side of this now. I'm just gonna go mask free. <laughs> and I sat there without a mask and I, I watched the whole movie. And then, like the whole, you know, within the next weeks after that, the Delta variant clicked in. And like, I remember going to see the <laughs> Green Knight and I carefully choosing, it was a pre assigned seating, uh, like carefully choosing the furthest seat possible, um, and wearing a mask the whole time. And some unmasked Yahoo uh, sits down next to me, um, and and, and uh, I you know, I had to quickly check Fandango to see which seats in the theater are not. <laughs> <laughs> have not
1: been sold yet and move to yes. one of those. A man after my own heart, Keith. A man yeah. after... Yeah. I, what a weird time. What a yeah, weird time to really we live is. in. That this is like what we have to deal with, you know? like. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's... it's if, and how did you like Forever Purge? I, I, I'm going to tell you, by the way, that is a movie I agonized over whether or not I could go see in the theater. <laughs> um, because I have seen every single Purge movie mm-hmm. and I'm kind of a fan of that franchise. Um, But yeah, what did you think of that movie?
0: I'm a fan of the franchise too, but I also feel like it's always with each one of them. It's like this con- this concept is great, the tone is great, uh, the ideas behind it are, are are really interesting, the visuals are interesting. I they didn't really execute the movie all that well. <laughs> mm. sort of my 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 take uh, my take on it, uh, but I'm I'll I'll be there for for. Yeah, this is the last purge movie for, for uh, the infinity
1: purge or whatever.
0: The yeah, next one whatever, is. Yeah. whatever's next. I, I I also also like the way that franchise has gone from like, yeah, maybe Americans like guns too much. Maybe we're a little too violent. To like full on like, this is your MAGA future t- nightmares. <laughs> like <laughs> any like sort of like veil of the, of the where the politics are of this uh, have has fallen off over over the years. Well,
1: I'm looking forward uh, looking forward to checking it out. And yeah, I mean t- to my earlier point is like, okay, it, like that movie came out right around when Delta started surging. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I can either wait 3 weeks to rent it or watch it in the theater and it's like, mm, I think I'm just going to wait 3 weeks. And and now I'm I'm worried I have this habit and I, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be difficult to kick and you know, for me who used to go to the movie theater like 2 to 3 times a week uh i'm curious like how whether other people will be able to kick it you know like and and what what is the theatrical industry going to look like after all this is over uh a lot of hopes on no time to die though as far as i can tell like yeah pe- people are thinking maybe that could make a million a billion dollars and so we'll see uh how it does
0: yeah i mean you and i aren't necessarily the best uh t- test cases here Absolutely. It's, it's, it's it's we it's are not representative who are going to go see no time to die um yeah have you seen, did you see it i have see seen it, it? yeah Yeah. I liked it. I, I, you know, we can't get into it, but, uh, too much, but, uh, uh, there's definitely some issues with it, but overall I thought, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I am curious also, like, as you move into this next phase of your career, I guess with Mm -hmm. this newsletter, like where do you see film criticism going as a field, as an industry, um, I mean, I can share some of my thoughts on it, but I'd I'm, I'm, love to hear like wh- where you feel it's at, and do you feel like subscriber-funded stuff is the way of the future, and this is this is the only model now, or this is the best model, and you know, kind of your overall thoughts on how being a film critic has changed over time.
0: I mean, it, I, I think if you look at my career and Scott's career and, and career of other people that were in our in our circle, um, it's oh, do you hear my dog barking? Sorry about that. Um, it's all good. The, 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 uh, um, we kind of bounced around from one thing or another you know i started out writing for an alt weekly effectively the the 80 club website was not that uh big a deal at the time it was it was really all about filling the space uh for the for the print edition uh and then slowly that became the website became the focus and and you know it was um yeah you know, at first, it was just a reflection of the print content and then it turned into this increasingly frequently updated thing um that expanded its scope and also kind of had the you know that that user interaction element where where a comment section was a big deal and um you know the dissolve was was a different thing it was more narrowly focused um but at the same time, you know, when it folded, uh, Scott and Tasha Robinson and Genevieve Kosky and, and Rachel Handler, who who uh, is no longer part of the podcast, but is a good friend, um, all started a, a podcast called The Next Picture Show, which we were kind of just doing, we just did for the love of it for a long time, uh, but we started a Patreon. So now we get a little bit of, of, of uh, you know, a little bit of support that way to, to help keep it going. Um and uh it has been you know th- thank you to everyone who does that thank you to everyone who subscribes to the reveal thereal.thereveal.substack.com um because it's uh, you know th- it's it really is um, the support of individual people who like what we do that allows us to do what we do and i also i really do like that um, the relationship you can kind of develop with with listeners and readers that way it, it's uh, I, i've loved having a, a really vibrant smart comment section on the reveal pieces we've posted so far, um, we, we love hearing from listeners at, at the podcast. Um, it is, you know, I, I joked about it being like artisanal slow-turn film criticism, but <laughs> kind of is that in some ways, you know? It's, it is definitely on a smaller scale, but, but, but uh, the rewards of the interactions with people and the, and the fact that you're being, you know you're being read by appreciative readers and, and appre- listened to by appreciative listeners that, that really like what you do, uh, it, it's, it's a nice feeling. Yeah, I mean, but asking how to break into the business now, I'd have I'd have no idea. Uh, that, that's the thing is
1: like, yeah, you know, asking people advice for how to break into the business is like the paths that were available to you or me, you Keith mm-hmm. or me, David Chen. Like, I, I don't know that those paths are available today.
0: You know, like no, and one, one hopes there's other paths. I, I you yeah. know, but 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 I I don't those are paths that that I couldn't necessarily reveal to people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that. Like from from my perspective, you know, I was one of the first movie podcasts mm-hmm. on the internet. Uh, not not the for you know, there's the, like film spotting preceded me, and and film junk, and there are many there are many other film podcasts before me. But like now, there are like tens of thousands. You know, when I was when I started this, there was like maybe uh, hundreds, right? Is what I would guess. Um, and the uh, and, and you know, by dint of the fact that I was one of the first and was able to connect with uh. A great site called Slashfilm.com, like uh, that, was able to like raise my profile to a point where now people are listening to this conversation we're having. Um, If you start a film podcast today, you will get no attention whatsoever unless you are like extraordinary. Do you know what I mean? Like unless Mm -hmm. you are like. Uh, an undeniable generational talent. I think it's, which there are people out there. That, yeah, unless, that you're,
0: unless you're Karina Longworth, although I guess, right. you know, Karina's been doing it for a while too, but but I feel like she wasn't necessarily in on, on the early, earliest ones, but, but yeah, but, it, but just yes, like she, you know, just so exceptionally is... well, <laughs> that, that you exactly. will stand out.
1: Exactly. Like she is exceptional and therefore like people will go to it. But unless you are like extremely exceptional, truly exceptional, it's very hard to get noticed these days. And I think with, just because with the, the sheer volume of stuff that's out there, um and the li- little amount of
0: attention people have, yeah. I, mean, um, I think it, it helps also to to catch the wave at the right point, which we're trying to do with this newsletter. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I've been trying to, you know, we've been trying to get it off and off the ground all year in one way or another, and um, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't want the the door to close, but I feel that like there there aren't that many um. You know, film newsletters of note, and but I don't, I don't, you know, if I start saying the ones I think are of note, you know, I'm telling everyone who isn't. Uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't name, but I feel like we're, we're kind of in early enough that that maybe people yeah. will catch on. So, uh, I think that's right. Yeah, you know, it's just like how you know, if you're, you know, if you if you if you were early enough to Twitter and you you uh, it's it, you you picked up um, you picked up followers uh, that you w- might not have gotten if you came a little later. So hopefully we're, we 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 got in early enough.
1: Uh indeed, and I, I feel like the next realm of you know what's fascinating to me, Keith, is that like I, I think the people who are going to be the film critics of tomorrow are working in media that like most people aren't even considering right now. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll give you an example. like I've spent a lot of time on TikTok recently. People are probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but there there's people on TikTok who have like 400,000 to 1.5 million followers or whatever, right? And their film criticism is seen by hundreds of thousands of people uh, a day. And I've never seen a single person on any of film Twitter mention any of these people before. Hmm. And it's like, these are the people who are like influencing the next generation of film critics whose opinions are going to shape like what is seen in the future and what people consider seriously. And uh. I I just find it fascinating and so basically my my advice is is kind of what Keith's implicit advice is which is like if for people looking to get into it like look at what the emerging trends are new I do think newsletter uh subscriptions are actually having a huge comeback and so I think like the reveal is going to have a a nice moment but also like the film critics of tomorrow will be like in virtual reality or some such shit you know like they'll be doing something that like we can't even consider right now, and it's just important to like be aware of what that is um, as you're evaluating how to get your work out there. So, as,
0: as someone who does not know this world very well, what what is the TikTok canon? Like, what are what are the uh, what are the films that, that are, are going to be are being canonized by by TikTok?
1: I don't know that I have an answer to that. I I, I would say that a lot of the opinions uh, and canon stuff it echoes what is on film Twitter. So it's not like. It's a completely different set of movies, but I think that uh, what what is interesting about TikTok and other emerging forms of new media like this is that, like, um, I do think there's an opportunity to highlight older films in a way that doesn't exist with traditional media uh, or even other platforms like even potentially YouTube. I'll I'll tell you that my uh, I've been on TikTok for like four months, and I've gotten you know probably I don't know five six million views in that time. And my third TikTok ever was about the Hal Ashby movie being there, uh huh. The Peter Sellers movie, the, the, and that you know, like you it, it, it got like thirteen thousand views, and I was like thrilled that I had because I had just started right, and I had gotten a TikTok that got thirteen thousand views, and I was like, this is amazing. Um. I think there is this kind of spirit of discovery on there that like doesn't necessarily exist in other other media. Um, so, anyway, I, I I do think it's kind of interesting that like this this we, we started talking about like discovery and and how uh, modern the modern commerce engine of the internet does not permit really um, does not permit really like writing about old movies that uh, no one has heard of. Content about that stuff does very well on platforms like YouTube and TikTok. Hmm. That said, it's not financially sustainable. You know, it's not like people are getting paid thousands of
0: dollars to talk about this stuff. Um, but it does exist. If so. you turn people into being there, you've, you've done a net good for the universe. You know, I mean, <laughs> being seen a great movie. Yeah, in some ways, I, I've always kind of pitch my writing to like what i would want to read when i was like 17 18 like really just like wanting to know what movies are all about and and finding stuff i mean beyond like sort of the writing about what's going on in films now like i always kind of felt like my older you know work about older films has been like who who is going to find you know right trying to write something that people who are really um you know just mad about discovering this stuff um would enjoy reading it and is helpful to them in some ways. So, uh, you know, if that's if that's happening on TikTok, that's that's fantastic. I'm always kind of also fascinated by like what the next generation um, canonizes. Like this is isn't even yeah. like new at this point at all. But like I, I remember. In the '90s, the, the, the Sandlot came out and kind of came and went. It's like, okay, whatever, the Sandlot. And then all of a sudden, like, this is a uh, this is a, a generation defining film uh, that's mentioned in that horrible uh, '90s mm. kids songs. And, and then, like, what like are that. the
1: movies that are like the Goonies or whatever that we were growing up with that everyone's like, oh, that movie is awesome, but then it's like not necessarily that great of a movie. Oh
0: yeah, um, I revisited the Goonies a few a few years ago. It was probably even like maybe like ten years ago at this point. But like, you revisit, I, I thought I thought the film was a huge headache, and I. And I I, i'm a real huge soft spot for for that whole era and especially like the amblin stuff but uh but yeah i i mean i you know i still haven't seen hocus pocus but like hocus pocus was another one of those films that like you know this this kind of came and went and no one cared about it but it, it's uh and now it's again it's it's a huge film but uh it's always, always fun to watch this stuff emerge and like you see like comedies of I, I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of specific titles, but but I, I do know that like there's there's comedies from the aughts that were you know not well regarded at the time that are suddenly you know classics. Like I remember finding I, I, one example is I remember finding the film Thirteen Going on Thirty. Fine, uh, you know it's it's it's, it's all right. Uh uh-huh. A good cast and fun idea, but 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 uh, you know it, it is. I think it's a classic in some circles now, right?
1: uh Not in the circles that i've run in, but it doesn 't surprise me you know yeah. yeah and and I think that like people is let me ask you this question Keith. is there a movie that you in, in your life have like revisited you know that is is one that you when it came out you 're like, eh, and now is like very beloved by you
0: um well i I know one that that i've even I, at one point at the a b club I even wrote about like i don 't know how I missed a boat on this one, but but uh I remember thinking uh lost highway. <laughs> it was mm. sort of a, a whiff when I saw it uh, at the time. I feel like maybe people were just like a little over Lynch at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, when I re- when it came out on, I think on DVD, and we did a screening of it as part of Scott's new cult canon series at the Music Box here in Chicago. Um, I, I left to think, is this maybe David Lynch's best film? <laughs> I, mean, I I I would I, I, I find it overwhelming. I, I I loved it, and 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 uh, I don't actually don't. I think it's his best film, but but uh, it's certainly uh, in the in the upper echelon. Um, that that would be that would be one example. Um, I know I've missed about tons of times, both both in over overrating things and underrating uh, things. I, I tend not to go back and read my reviews um, because I'm I, it just I just <laughs> I just find it awkward to reread my old stuff. Yeah, um, same, was, same
1: thing with my like old podcast episodes. I don't like going back and listening to them. Um, cause I'm a different person now, you know, yeah. it's like hearing a different version of yourself. It's kind of weird.
0: Yeah. I was trying, what was an example I was thinking of recently where something I wrote about a film ended up being quoted in, oh yeah, it was, it was for, I, 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 I wrote a piece coming up on the walking tall films for the reveal. There, now there's something I could not pitch anywhere else that anyone's going to, <laughs> going to write about, but, but, but uh, something I, I wrote about it, like a quote from my DVD review at the AV club is part of the Wikipedia page, which I guess is the closest thing you can come to being part of the official history these days. And like, well, do I really, do I really feel like this, this, these films, these films make me a lot more uncomfortable than they used to Uh, when I, when I was like, just it's kind of like, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, of a weird, you know, weird, good time, um you know morally uh objectionable but still fun to watch and like i don't know maybe now the morally objectionable part weighs a little heavier on me yeah. than it did then uh, you know i i and i don't want to like say i was i would not like walk away from anything i wrote because i wrote it and i felt it at the time and I, I feel like i've always been honest but at the same time anything i read anything i wrote then doesn't necessarily reflect how i feel about something now totally totally Keith Phipps is
1: a writer whose work has appeared in GQ, Vulture, and TV Guide, uh, and he also has launched a new newsletter publication with Scott Tobias called The Reveal, which I'd highly recommend you subscribe to. Keith Phipps, thanks so much for joining me today.
0: Thanks for having me anytime. I'm always happy to talk to you.
1: It's time for Weekly Recommendations, the part of the show where we recommend something we've been listening to, watching, reading, eating, drinking, etc. This week, I want to recommend a really amazing article by Chris Hayes. It was published in The New Yorker. It's called On the Internet, We're Always Famous. And it's basically about how in this modern-day era of Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, etc., we have ceded so much of our privacy to corporations uh, for questionable benefits and i thought it was just so thought-provoking really interesting would highly recommend it to anyone who does any work online whatsoever which is the vast majority of us uh but check it out again it's called on the internet we're always famous it's also a great accompaniment by the way to another podcast episode that i listened to recently called decodering the host of whom has appeared on this podcast uh, willa paskin there's a great episode of decodering recently about selling out the concept of selling out uh, and why it's no longer really a concept at all that people even understand these days. So I'd recommend checking that out. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. Here's what Keith Phipps' recommendation was this week.
0: Are people? Here's a question: Are, are people seeing Cry Macho? I, I thought it was. I mean, I'm kind of in the tank for most Clint Eastwood stuff already, uh, but I, I wrote a piece for the GQ uh, for GQ about how I find like this this last this most recent phase of his career, just weird and fascinating, full of, full of big swings that don't always work um, and in, in ways that kind of reflect on who he is as, a, as an actor and a filmmaker and just as a cultural icon. And you know, he's 91 years old and I, I like his new movie Cry Macho which you can see in theaters I guess or you can watch on HBO Max because of all the weirdness we just talked about. Uh, but it's a film that people have been trying to make since the 70s. At one point, Burt Lancaster was going to star in it. It's about um, a former rodeo star who is hired by his former boss to go to Mexico to retrieve his son. And that maybe sounds like the setup for a uh, you know rock'em sock'em action film. But in some way, and there are some action scenes in it, but in some ways it's kind of like pig which one of my favorite movies of the year where where it it looks like it's going to be one thing and it's something else entirely and what it turns out to be is a fairly um gentle reflection on the idea of machismo of heroism of what it means to be a tough guy and what it means to be responsible Um, and i I just think it's a really um in some ways a a really sweet well-made film um with a really nice eastwood performance um and i almost feel like it's probably for like the last almost like going on 30 years we've we've talked about every film as if it could be his swan song like he's going to retire or die um i have a feeling he he's not going you know it's probably not his last movie but it will be a a really um i think a lovely uh to that career if this if this were his final film
1: thanks to keith phipps for sharing that thanks to you for listening thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash dave chan for supporting my work in shows like this one thanks to simplecast.com for powering this episode of the podcast check out simplecast for a great podcast management and analytics solution i think they're awesome Check them out if you're thinking of starting or maintaining your existing podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Culturally Relevant. We got an interview with Numi Rapaz next week in a new A24 movie called Lamb that's coming out in theaters. I think it's a really interesting movie. I think the chat was a lot of fun. Be sure to check that out next week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.